The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. We're ringing. Welcome to worship this morning. My name is Carmen Barsodi, and I'm here with Sam Dennison and Dennis Adams. So you've got three fools leading you this morning in service. So for those who don't know, we are of the Faithful Fools, which is a ministry that grew out of this congregation when Reverend Kay Jorgensen was the social justice minister. And we're located down in the Tenderloin in a beautiful purple building. And uh, we welcome you to come down. Sam and I live there. Kay and I originally lived there beginning in 2000. Today, um, we are dedicating this service to Father Louis Vitale, whom some of you know. Father Louis was a Franciscan priest, a brother to all, and as St. Francis said in his canticle, um, befriending sister death from whom no human can escape. And so Louis is now one of the eternal lights with us, and also all of us here to acknowledge the death of uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein who has served us all. So um, we thank you for um, joining us in that honoring of them. This morning, the offering will go both to support our work as Faithful Fools, but also we will share that offering, whatever we receive today, with the Gubbio Project, which is a ministry that Father Louis Vitale and Shelley Roeder um, founded first at St. Boniface down in the Tenderloin, and now its home is at St. John's um, Episcopal Church in the Mission. Uh, we want to especially acknowledge everybody who is making this service possible this morning. All the names are listed in your order of service, and just note them and thank them when you see them. And we especially welcome today our musicians, Christoph Wong and Joanne, er, Wagner and Joanne Kong. I joined your names. <laughs> so um, it's wonderful uh, to have you with us. And we have our own fool, Mark Sumner, leading music with uh, Bill Gans accompanying him. So all of you who are on live stream, we welcome you and um, hope you can find the order of service, the link to it, and to follow along. All the songs are in there so you can sing as loud as you'd like in your robes or wherever you may be. Um, and if there's any problems, somebody will be monitoring the live stream. So let us begin. And our chalice lighting this morning is by the Juman family. So we welcome them up to, are they here? We have no Juman family. Okay, so we will not have them. I'm not sure what happened there. So Dennis, would you lead us in the chalice lighting? 
The words are in your order of service if you're following along at home. This is our Unison Covenant. Well, is that right? Chalice lighting. I don't have that. I'm overqualified for the job. <laughs> we light this chalice for the light of truth and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. So please join us in our opening song Number 203, All Creatures of the Earth and Sky. All creatures of the earth and sky, Lift your voices high. Alleluia, alleluia. Bright burning sun with golden beam. Soft shining moon with silver gleam. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. strong white clouds that sail in heaven along Alleluia Alleluia Fair rising morn in praise rejoice High stars of evening find a voice Alleluia Alleluia Good morning. 
My name is uh, Linda Enger, and among other things, I am a member of our Board of Trustees. If you have questions about our church or what goes on around here, please feel free to talk to me after the service. If this is your first time joining us or watching on live stream, thanks for joining us. If you would like to receive a copy of our weekly email newsletter, which includes a link to the order of service and Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our yellow connections forms. These forms are at the welcome table. They may be in the pew in front of you, and they're available through a link in the order of service or video description of today's service. As usual, the order of service includes upcoming events and li links to opportunities to connect. Please engage in any or all that are of interest to you. The Art Committee has asked me to remind you that the take-in for art to be displayed in the annual UUSF Family and Friends Group Show is next Sunday, October 8th, from 9 to 2. Please bring your art pieces for display, and if you're willing, stay to help hang the show. Also on October 8th is the blessing of the animals in the chapel, so those of you who'd like to participate in that, it's after the service. <laughs> of all the activities listed in the order of service, there are three that I want you to be sure to join me in. The first one is the auction on October 15th, and Gino is here to give you some updates on that. Hello, everyone. I am here in Hawaiian shirt preparing mentally already for the auction. Now, as usual, I have three asks of you on top of blocking off the time and actually being here on the 15th. The first is go to the flame from this week and look at that wonderful, wonderful video that Vanessa made for us about the auction. It is just so. The second thing I want you to do is go to the UUSF.org webpage, scroll down almost halfway, and clickety-clackety-click on that make a donation slash buy a ticket button. And the third, th and, and, and <clears throat> as the administrator of the system, I can tell all of you who plan to buy tickets on the day of the event, the line will be very, very, very long so I seriously suggest that you buy tickets in advance because that line will be very, very, very short if you know what I mean. The third thing I want you to do is right now the silent auction is open. That means you can be out there bidding right now. And as we, uh, you know, from, from older East Coast cities say, it's never too early to vote when you vote often. It's never too early to bid, and bid often. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Gino. We can always count on you for enthusiasm. The other two things that I want to be sure you join me in doing is signing up for a photo session so you will be included in the photo directory that we're putting together. It only works if everybody's in the, has their picture in the directory. And finally, this afternoon, 
attend the Concert for Community at one o'clock featuring the daughter of our longtime church members, Bruce and Ruth Cowan. As Carmen mentioned, the special offering today goes to support the work and ministries of the Faithful Fools. I, I believe that that's all I'm going to want to encourage you to do. There's a lot. Um, let's take a moment now to greet one another. All right, folks, come gather back into your pews. And to all of you online, come back to the screen. What a joyous sound of community around us. So now is the time for what we call the story of all ages. And we have a few of the kids here with us today. Some of them are already in session, but in reality, we're all a bunch of kids. <laughs> so my story today is on St. Francis of Assisi and his brother, one of his brothers, Juniper. So does anybody know how to say St. Francis in Spanish? 
San Francisco, yes. San Francisco, the town in which, the city in which we are. And um, when people think of St. Francis, we often think of this free-spirited person running through the streets, helping the poor, making peace. And that is true. Um, but Francis, also one of the great things he did as a human being, when Francis um, came from a family that actually had a lot of wealth and a family that um, was growing their wealth at the same time while they were watching more and more people be impoverished and be on the streets. And Francis had this dream um, in the early part of his life that he was going to be a hero, to be a knight in shining armor and go off to war. And so he did do that, but shortly was captured and put in prison. And that dream was kind of shattered. When he left prison after about a year, he was in a deep depression. And really a moment, a turning moment in his life to say, what is the purpose of my life? What am I to do? And in that turning point is when he really began to notice this growing disparity, the language we use today, the income inequality that was all around and that was affecting people's lives. So Francis set out and what he did was he wanted to help the people and somehow not only help the people by providing food for them, but he also wanted to get others to join in with them and people began to follow him. So one of the people that followed him was Brother Juniper. Now Brother Juniper was a very simple kind of fella, and he um, did things always that people weren't really sure about. In, and one of them was he never liked to see that somebody was in the streets without something to eat or the clothes that they needed to have on them. So Brother Juniper was famous for going out into the streets in the daytime with his robe, his tunic on, and returning at night without it. Because he always found somebody who needed it more than he did. So after a few times of this, um, his superiors, his ministers, said to him, Juniper, you cannot give away your clothes anymore. Under the vow of obedience, you cannot do this. So, Brother Juniper, though it was a difficult one, he decided, okay. So the next day when he went out into the streets and he met somebody who said, I am cold, can you give me your tunic? And Brother Juniper said, I can't give it to you, but you can take it from me. <laughs> And so the person did, because he needed it. For Brother Juniper, it was more important for him to creatively find a way around the rules and the restrictions in order to meet the needs of the people before him. So Francis once said, I wish I had a forest of junipers. So 
all of you, all of us, may we be a forest of junipers. I'm being told that now is the time for the Unison Covenant. <laughs> if you have a copy of our order of service at home, uh, follow along. These are the promises that we make to ourselves as a community. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and freedom and to help one another. Francis had a deep relationship with all of creation. And in our prayer time this morning, I'm going to use a poem that was um, shared by Sister Addie Kroll, one of my Franciscan sisters and a faithful fool with us here in San Francisco. And when she shared the poem, she said, I'm not sure where it came from. Maybe I wrote it. So um, to Sister Addie and to all who brought this forth. So I invite you to just find a comfortable place and bring into your mind a place in nature that settles you, that maybe offers you a sense of quiet and peace, there may be some trees or some birds chattering, some flowers with a strong scent. And in this space, I offer you this poem. Silence, my soul. These trees are prayers. Silence, my soul. These trees are prayers. I ask the tree about love and then it blossomed. Silence, my soul. These birds are prayers. 
Silence, my soul, these birds are prayers. I asked the birds about love, and then they sang. Silence, my soul, these bees are prayers. Silence, my soul, these bees are prayers. I asked the bees about love, and then they flew. Be still and know that I am love. Blessed be. Amen. Hannah Arendt was an incredible intellect and philosopher of the 20th century, someone who influenced my life through her writing, her work. And even today, when we think profoundly about the world, it is worth turning to her words and her thoughts. One of the texts that she is not as well known for, but that is very, very important, is called On Revolution. And in that text, she wrote these words. Pity may be the perversion of compassion, but its alternative is solidarity. Out of solidarity, people establish deliberately and, as it were, dispassionately, a community of interest with the oppressed and the exploited. Their common interest is the grandeur of man, or the honor of the human race, or the dignity of humanity. Solidarity is able to comprehend a multitude, a multitude, conceptually, not only the multitude of a class or a nation or of a people, but eventually all humanity. But this solidarity, though it may be aroused by suffering, is not guided by it. And it comprehends the strong and the rich no less than the weak and the poor. Compared with the sentiment of pity, it may appear cold and abstract, for it remains committed to ideas to greatness, or honor, or dignity, rather than love of humanity. Pity, because it is not stricken in the flesh and keeps its sentiment at a distance, can succeed where compassion will always fail. It can reach out to the multitude and therefore, like solidarity, enter the marketplace. But pity, in contrast to solidarity, 
does not look upon both fortune and misfortune, the strong and the weak, with an equal eye. Without the presence of misfortune, pity would not exist. And it is therefore just as much vested in, in, in the interest vested and interested in the existence of the unhappy as thirst for power has a vested interest in the existence of people who are weak.
Thank you. How many of you have played that telephone game? When you tell someone a sentence at the beginning of the line, and then you send it down through the rest of the line, and when it gets to the end, you hear what the person heard. And often, it's really difficult to have any sense that there's a relationship between how it ended up and how it began. So Francis of Assisi died on the evening of October 3rd in 1226, 797 years ago. Immediately following his death, there were accounts of his life written with a little bit of embellishment as the intention was to set the stage for him to be canonized a saint, which they did less than two years after he died. There's thousands of books written, thousands of sermons given, thousands of stories about his life. Don't just sometimes wonder how we're doing with the accuracy of the origin? If we can end up with a great distortion of one simple phrase in one sitting, imagine 797 years and millions of people seeking to pass a whole life story down the line. Heck, I sometimes wonder if the way I tell the story about my own life is really how it was. Many of us are inspired by Francis of Assisi, but what do we really know about Francis, the human being, and his lifetime of words, dreams, deeds, thoughts? There are the familiar stories that get passed down on over the centuries that tell us one of them is that he was a peacemaker, that he would be called upon to mediate conflict between people who were fighting, sometimes between the bishops and the mayors, which we don't ever have today, do we? Um, he'd be called in to try to mediate the conversation. Another story is that during the Fifth Crusade, he risked his life to cross the battlefield to have a conversation with the Sultan. He wanted to share his Christian faith with the Muslim Sultan. And the Sultan was so moved by the sincerity and the deep faith of Francis that he arranged that Francis would then be escorted back home safely. The end of the war was not achieved at that moment, but both men were transformed, and they parted with a deep respect for each other's faith. It was this encounter, this desire for peace between neighbors, between nations, that still to this day inspires the Franciscans to take a lead in the Christian-Muslim dialogue. 
In pictures about St. Francis, we often see him sitting with animals or speaking with birds, surrounded by the trees and the plants. He is named the patron saint of ecology. He did not believe that humans were to have dominion over all the earth and that all of us are one, all creatures, all people. Brother sun, sister moon, sister water. And we must acknowledge and care for the earth. One of the most famous stories of Francis as a peacemaker and a brother with creatures is when he went out to meet with a wolf in the town of Gubbio. This wolf was frightening the townspeople. He was um, roaming around, attacking people, attacking animals. And so when Francis came into the town, people began to tell him about this fear-inducing um, wolf. So fearless and with compassion, Francis went out to meet with the wolf in his cave. He didn't set out to reprimand him or blame him or judge him or push him out of sight. He set out to meet him with a genuine desire to connect. Francis understood that ferociousness comes for all of us when one is hungry and tired and treated as an outcast. He asked Brother Wolf if he would seize his frightening ways if the townspeople would come together to make sure he had a welcoming space and to have food so that he no longer had to suffer hunger. The wolf agreed. And the story is told that Francis then extended his hand and the wolf in turn raised his forepaw and placed it in Francis's hand. It's a sign that it's a mutual commitment. Now, are all these stories true? Did they happen as they have been passed down to us? Does it really matter? What we do know is that Francis of Assisi lived in such a way that he left a lasting impression on the earth, such that here we are, 797 years after his death, telling stories of his life that have inspired and challenged millions of people, including me. At the Fool's Court in the Tenderloin, we have a wooden statue of Siddhartha the Buddha and St. Francis. Kay and I acquired them soon after we moved into the Fool's Court, and they st stood outside our bedrooms. And in the evenings, when we bid one another a good night, a bit like the Waltons, we'd say, good night, Kay, good night, Carmen, good night, Sid, good night, Frank. <laughs> For St. Francis was Francis a human being with a human heart that was infused by faith and perseverance and maybe a little craziness. 
They are necessary traits when one needs to keep on moving, when their way of being is met with doubt and misunderstanding. The loyalty is to the drumbeat of one's heart, even if we ourselves don't know where we are going, except maybe for Francis toward God, toward love. Francis was saintly to some and a nuisance to others. He was a fool, more comfortable on the streets with the marginalized of our world than in a fortified edifice or an office. For him, he said, the world is my cloister. It is true. We do not all have the same call as Francis. But the, the mandate that rings in my ears comes from one of my own Franciscan sisters when we were living in Nicaragua. We were reading material sent to us that was saying, to be Franciscan means this, and to be Franciscan means that. And Joanne threw up her arms and said with exasperation, Francis lived with compassion. So to be Franciscan means to live with passion. So may it be so for all of us. Amen, sister. Our, our offering today will be given to the Faithful Fools and the Gubbio Project. It will go for the support of the work of Faithful Fools and the Gubbio Project, a place of sacred rest and sleep co-founded by Father Louis Vitale. Details on how to donate are in the order of service. And if donating online or writing a check, please put today's date and special offering in the memo note. Today's offering will now be given and gratefully received.
Oh, I want to thank you for such beautiful music. It's, uh, it's just been marvelous. Oh, I have a confession to make. Um, that thing about telling stories and embellishing a little bit, and maybe it's not exactly accurate, I'm about to launch into that um, full force. I, I realized I, I didn't really know enough about Francis to talk about him, and when Father Vitale's passing reached my ears, I realized today I didn't really want to talk about Francis all that much. I just wanted to talk about Louis. Um, but I didn't know him very well. I, mean, I met him once or twice, um, and there are probably people here who um, know him a lot better, uh, maybe participated in various actions with him, sat with him, did a lot of work with him, but I just know a few stories, and like I said, I met him once or twice. So what I'm gonna tell you about him moved me deeply and is one of the guiding stories in my life um, but to tell you the truth, I don't know how accurate the story is. So I'm going to tell it to you as I know it, with my own little embellishments, and you can consider me the second person or maybe the 50th person in that game of operator and take it for what it's worth. So the Gubbio Project is a place that started in the Tenderloin, a church where people were welcomed to come and sleep. Um, between 6 a.m. and 12 p.m., 12 noon, um, because often people needed to sleep. But before the Gubbio Project started, there would be people going to St. Boniface, the church in the, in the Tenderloin, and sleeping in the pews, and it was becoming a problem. So there were people who wanted to put up signs saying, no sleeping in the pews. And Father Vitale was the pastor of St. Boniface and was a little disturbed by that, but he realized kind of how impractical it was to really open the doors because you need to do cleaning, you need staff, you probably should give out some socks and have other resources. It's not like you just open the doors. Like, to be engaged with people is to be committed. And he wasn't too sure about whether that would be practical. So as this discussion was going on at St. Boniface, he went someplace and engaged in a protest, or maybe he gave a speech, or I don't know, he was traveling, and his plane was derailed or delayed, and he spent the night in an airport, and he was like bone tired. So he went to the, the airport chapel to get a little rest, and he sat down, and there was a brass plaque that said, no sleeping in the pews. And he was exhausted. And now I'm sure Father Vitale didn't have this reaction because he's not quite as, as uh, irascible as I am. I know I would have been just so pissed off. <laughs> like, I'm a friar, I'm a Franciscan, why can't I sleep in the chapel? You know, a little bit of privilege there, but no. He came home and he talked with Shelley Roeder, who was the executive director of the St. Boniface Neighborhood Center, and he said, look, I think, I think we need to do this. I think we need to do it. And so the Gubbio project was begun. They raised the money, they hired the staff, and if you go and look at their website, you will see the pictures of the original Gubbio project down in the Tenderloin with people wrapped in beautiful blankets, sleeping pew after pew after pew. And when I first knew the Gubbio Project, I remember walking in and hearing this 
beautiful sound of people asleep. You know, when people are exhausted and they're sleeping, it is such a gift. And I remember just being so moved by the reality of that. The thing that strikes me about the story of Father Vitali is that he did it. He opened the group Gubbio Project, put his strength and energy there because he was tired. He knew what it was to be tired. And that's a pretty human thing. We see that a lot in airports, don't we? We see tired kids, tired parents, tired business travelers, tired vacationers, tired cabin attendants, tired ticket agents. Everybody in an airport is tired. And honestly, these days, if you go to a Zoom meeting, everybody is tired. If you go to the grocery store, everybody is tired. You hang out on the street, you see people who are tired. People waiting for Lyft are tired. People waiting for Uber are tired. People waiting for the bus are tired. People living in tents are tired. People asking for change are tired. Everybody is tired. And if we're honest about it, there is no difference between being sleep deprived because you're a young parent or because you're sleeping in a tent. Tired is tired, sleep deprived is sleep deprived. You get cranky, you get short tempered, and your body and spirit get worn down. It doesn't matter why. When you recognize that experience in one other person, that's empathy. Oh, honey, I know how hard that is. But when you see it in your fellow human beings writ large, when you see it in whole groups of people, young parents, bus drivers, people living on the streets, you experience solidarity. You know you are just like them. You experience that kind of disinterested and dispassionate community of interest that Hannah Arendt talked about. It's not because you care about your mom is tired or your kid is tired, it's that human beings are tired and you just know what that feels like. That is what it is to experience the wonder of our common humanity. I don't know you, but oh, I know how you're feeling. That's what it means to understand the strong and the rich no less than the weak and the poor. It is what it means to look at a sign in an airport chapel and know that it is just as cruel and inhuman as a church in the Tenderloin. The remarkable thing about Louis Vitale's airport experience is that he didn't just leave his experience with empathy, he expanded it to solidarity and that solidarity became action. He knew that you don't have to put up a sign in a church or a chapel saying no sleeping if there aren't people looking for a safe place to sleep. You don't have to put up signs forbidding people to do things that they don't need to do in that space. And he understood that there is something terribly wrong if you have to put up a sign. But he also knew that it is a lot easier to put up a sign than to address the need. So he was thoughtful about it. He wasn't reactive. He didn't just do it. He worked with Shelley and made it happen as a community. There's one other piece about Father Vitale's story that really touches me. And that is that when he came back from that airport experience, he must have asked himself, 
What is mine to do? Should I be writing sternly worded letters to the airport authority? Or should I be talking to the congregants of my church? What is mine to do in the face of this experience? So he did open that, that the Gubbio project. People did sleep there. It wasn't an earth-shattering thing. The world did not suddenly change, but it was a necessary thing. So I find myself thinking it's important to ask ourselves, what is mine to do? And that's a very Franciscan thing. They say that when Francis was on his deathbed, he looked at his brothers and he said, I have done what is mine to do. Now you go and do what is yours to do. What an amazing gift that is, isn't it? A founder, a leader who is content with his, what he has done himself, knew what he was supposed to do, and then instead of saying, here are the rules, here's the program, here's the mission, you go do this, this is the right way to do it, he just said, go and do what is yours to do. And that is a remarkably human gift that we can give to each other. What is yours to do? Let me support you in it. Here is mine to do. Come and do it with me. I think that's a particularly Franciscan gift to our world. So our closing song is number 1028, The Fire of Commitment. And as we just heard Sam say, we shall not begin if the commitment is not there. So let us sing and Jonathan will give the drum beat. From the light of day's remembered burns a beacon bright and clear, guiding hands and hearts and spirits into faith set from her fear. And the fire of commitment sets our mind and soul Life of day. 
to the camera if you want to reach out your hand and with the other or your elbow or open hands but to come together so we have a little puppy here in the front So this blessing I do with an adaption of the peace prayer. As we go forth, may we be instruments of peace who believe that peace is possible. May we seek to love where we encounter hatred. May we offer pardon where we see our or or experience injury. May we offer hope when we encounter despair. And may we be a companion with joy when we encounter sadness. For love is the spirit of this community and service is our prayer. Let us go in peace to love and serve one another. Amen. So be it.